Dr. Deneen? In 1996, we had a 66-year-old gentleman with a PSA of 7, a Gleason score of 6, and a biopsy that was positive in two cores taken out of six cores altogether. These two were positive on the left-hand side, and he was treated with external beam radiation. At the time, he had no seeds. We were just beginning enrollment at that time in the Casadex study where people were given 150 milligrams of Casadex versus a placebo. We now know that this gentleman did receive the Casadex. And just before you go on, Laurie, I was interested in about the fact that this man was on the trial. I mean, he was pretty low risk for an adjuvant trial. What do we know about the most recent update of that EPC studies? The study did not enrich for high-risk patients, which was partly, I think, a decision to make it a large, simple trial, and partly the fact that the importance of prognostic factors was not nearly as well understood when the trial was designed. So, I mean, that's one of the pitfalls of the study, and it undoubtedly explains the fact that For example, in the North American arm of the study, the radical prostatectomy arm, there's no difference at all in any meaningful endpoint. The main observation that's been made from the study, I think there's two. One is that in the Scandinavian patients treated with surveillance, plus or minus Casadex 150, the locally advanced patients had a benefit in terms of reduction in prostate cancer mortality with the drug the localized disease patients had increased mortality related to other cause mortality associated with the bicalutamide. And the second observation is that the radiation patients have consistently showed a benefit, similar to what is seen in the other adjuvant hormonal therapy studies. Now, you were taking care of him at that time, Dr. Dini? Yes. Mm-hmm. Did he have gynecomastia? No. That's interesting. I kind of was expecting that. How often do you see no gynecomastia, Laurie? Not very often. It's maybe 10% of patients. The vast majority had at least nipple tenderness or pain. That's something like 80 or 90%. I think in the study, gynecomastia reported, which means sort of the patient complains about it, is somewhere around 50 to 60%. So I guess there's a few patients who don't experiment. They must be the non-compliant ones. Well, (laughs) the way the study was designed, we needed to do, you know, on the follow-ups, it was a physical exam. It wasn't waiting for the patient to report. So he did not have any nodular tissue or anything palpably suspicious for gynecomastia, if I recall, though I think early on he may have had complained of some degree of tenderness, but that's just me popping up with that. I don't recall that. Okay, so that's point one, which is 1996. Let's continue Well, he, he did very well, and, you know, he followed him according to the protocol, which was every three months for two years, every six months for the next three years, taking it out to a total of five. And then AstraZeneca decided to convert the thing to a survival study and to continue to follow these people on an annual basis. And interestingly, I think it was about the sixth year, suddenly his PSA went from undetectable up to 2.2 in one year. So is that a PSA doubling time of, you know, I don't know what the PSA doubling time was the year before. It was zero, and now it was 2.2. At that point, we were still becoming aware of the fact that bone scans and CAT scans may not be helpful, but we were still you know, in private practice and patients demanding, etc. We ended up getting it anyhow, and the trust biopsy was positive, and this time for three cores out of 12, we had expanded the number of cores we were taking at this point, but three of the cores on the left-hand side were positive for a Gleason score of six. 
Now, the man had long since been impotent, and he was continent. At that point, our practice was just getting into, on a more expansive basis, cryoablation, and he underwent whole gland salvage cryoablation. For the next 18 months, his PSA remained undetectable. So for the next 18 months, his PSA was undetectable, but then it began to climb again and went on up to 2.6. This time we did another truss biopsy, which was negative, and his metastatic workup was negative, and we assumed, though, that the cancer was metastatic, gave him his options, and he went on LHRH analogs, and his PSA went down to less than 0.1 for about 12 months. And then he went into retention. He developed a ball valving median lobe while on hormone therapy. And we ended up doing a transurethral resection of his prostate, being rather cautious not to resect down into the prostatic urethra, but staying up in the area of the median lobe. And several of those chips from the median lobe demonstrated a Gleason score of 7, a 4 plus 3 carcinoma. The retention resolved. He remained continent, thank God, and we made the decision at that point to stop his LHRH analog, and although his testosterone did recover, his PSA remained undetectable. He did well until earlier just this year, he just expired from a myocardial infarction that I don't think had anything to do with this. The PSA that we had had most recently was undetectable, and his testosterone was 220 nanograms per deciliter. So, Anthony, would you comment on this case? And also, kind of interesting that he did have a myocardial infarction and die of it in the face of endocrine therapy, although I guess he had not been on it for, what, a couple years when he died? Right, just for about a year and a half, right? Going back to the very beginning, so this was a classic low-risk patient, although at the time we were only taking six cores, so he could have been undersampled. The one thing I would do, even before going through the truss biopsy initially, when his PSA went from point to 2.2 in a year is to go back and look at the dosimetry of the seed implant to see if, in fact, there's any substantiation for cold spots or something that could have... Right. Con- he didn't have seeds back then. This was all external beam. Oh, he had external beam, not seeds. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, then you can go back. What was it? Do you know what the dose of external beam was? I think I put 7,200. I think that's correct, but it right. might have been 68. So the question then was, you know, was there inadequate local therapy? The next question is, you know, you have that rise of PSA in one year from 0.2 to 2.2, which actually is a very rapid rise if we, and he's well beyond the testosterone rebound by this point because that was six years later and he got three years, I guess, of Casadex on the study. Two years. Two. All right. So he's well beyond testosterone rebound. So that very rapid rise in his PSA, as we've been discussing earlier, argues for, he may have local recurrence as you subsequently proved, but he probably also has a distant recurrent pattern as well. And so one could have argued at that point, is salvage local therapy, given the rapid rise in the PSA, reasonable or not? And this is an area where I would tend not to have accepted that candidate for salvage local therapy just because of that very rapid rise in his PSA. Nonetheless, he had the cryo, and then he had a rise in his PSA to follow after an initial period of remission, and then went on to hormonal therapy. So You know, this is the course of someone who, if you want to go back to what the real issue here is, the real issue is probably he was just undersampled by no one's fault. But back in 1996, we took six cores. I bet if we took 12 or 18 cores back then, you may have found a seven. You probably would have treated him differently. You may have thought at 66 years old about radiation and hormones because we had at that time 
No, we didn't have the BOLA study yet. That was 1997. We had the RTOG 8610, which was published at that time. So probably you may have thought of radiation and hormonal therapy if he was a Gleason 7, or maybe radical prostatectomy and consider adjuvant therapy. You know, well, he was specifically being thought of for the Cassidy study. Okay. Well, then there was not much else you could do. I mean, that's all we had. But I think the issue here was one of undersampling because we didn't find out until much later in the course that he actually had higher grade, probably had higher grade disease at presentation. Or he grew into that later on. I just ask, there's pretty good data that radiation failures tend to be upgraded in a considerable proportion of cases, which I always interpret as being either some kind of adaptation selection process, but I wouldn't assume that because he's Gleason 7 post-radiation that he was Gleason 7 before. Right, but I think that just taking six cores probably was an undersampling. It could be that, yes, that radiation only kills low-grade prostate cancer and leaves the high-grade there, or we also know that radiation effect causes changes that look like high-grade prostate cancer, and so the pathologist who's reading those slides post-radiation needs to know that there has been prior radiation, and in fact, they're told not to give a Gleason score if radiation effect is seen, only to give a Gleason score if radiation effect is lacking. The MI issue is interesting, but studies that we've done don't relate to this particular case where the MI is occurring well after the institution of the hormonal therapy. It would be interesting to know if he had any other risk factors for MI that could have contributed to that. Or, you know, by that point, he's 75, and, you know, that's the most common cause of death in men that age. Yeah. I think also in support of Anthony's comment, bicalutamide also can directly affect and cause difficulty with Gleason grading as well. So that's also something that needs to be considered. Sure. One of the points I wanted to make with this was that when I went in to do the salvage cryoablation, I probably believed the adage, well, centrally there's not going to be much tumor and stayed away from what was a little bud of a median lobe at that time because the man wasn't very symptomatic. And probably, to your point, the tumor was there all along. Well, it had to have been there all along. We went ahead and biopsied him again later, but our traditional transrectal biopsies are not very successful at getting up toward the anterior lobe or well up into a median lobe doing the standard techniques that we have. So I made the assumption, even after the salvage cryo and a subsequent biopsy, that, well, the gland is clean, and in fact it was not. The tumor was localized probably all along, to your point, and when we did the TERP for different reasons, that accidentally cured him, or I think we cured him anyhow. Laurie, what do you think about that? It would be nice if it's true. It's the pretty rare patient whose disease is cured by TUR. It's not a good cancer operation. Success in prostate cancer can be defined as death from other causes. So in that sense, you know, you've, you've treated him well. 